This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Welcome to Through the Ringer. I'm Tate Frazier, and I'm joined, as always, on this Friday morning with Nora. Nora, she's back, and we're talking NFL Week 6 power rankings and uh, a little bit of a teaser here, Nora. I'm actually happy this week. I I feel good about the rankings. I'm so glad, Tate. We do them for you. Everything we do, we do for you. I have been upset the past couple of weeks if you have not been tuning in. Um, I was fighting the good fight for the Philadelphia Eagles. They went to Los Angeles, where I live. They took over SoFi Stadium. They were spelling it S-O-P-H-I and chanting uh, Eagles chants everywhere. So it was uh, it was crazy to witness. And also, they are now number three on the power rankings. I'll go through the power rankings right now, Nora, and then we'll talk about it. The Niners... America's uh, darling team. Everyone has kind of tabbed them as the Super Bowl uh, team to beat. They are the number one on the power rankings. Number two, the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, We'll talk about them a little bit later. We've got the Eagles at number three, like I said. The Bills at number four, despite being three and two, they are ahead of their divisional rivals, the Miami Dolphins, who they beat, who are four and one with their lone loss being to the Buffalo Bills. Um, Let's talk about the number one team quickly, Nora. The 49ers. How good are the Niners and how fun are they right now? Yeah, if I had to pick the Super Bowl again tomorrow, I originally picked the Chiefs to win it, but I would absolutely pick San Francisco. They're just mm. they're they're absolutely rolling. Yeah, they got uh as they put on the ringer rankings here, a treasure trove of talent in San Francisco. And it feels like even when guys go down like Aaron Banks, the, you know, their left guard, if looked like it could be bad, turns out it's not so bad. So it's good fortune also there in San Francisco. So them at number one is great. We got the Chiefs, and uh the update here is it kind of through the tea leaves, right? Taylor Swift is going uh, as it feels like we've had this conversation before. Taylor Swift is going to the game against the Broncos, which means questionable Travis Kelly is going to play. Is that correct? Am I reading the tea leaves right? I mean, it seems like he's got to be in there, right? Like she's right. coming all the way to Kansas City the night after a movie premiere. She was just hanging out with Beyonce in Los Angeles. Right. This right. is, this is some trip. Yeah. So Travis Kelsey, we're expecting him to play. Um, and that'll be something to talk about. So let's talk about your top five, because I know this is an aggregate of the rankings. Um, is there anyone that you had in your top five that is not in the Ringers top five? Is there a team that you think last week it was the Baltimore Ravens that we believed in? Obviously, they you know had a tough loss, seven drops there for Lamar Jackson. They end up losing to their rival, the, the Steelers. But um, is there a team outside of this top five that you like? No, this was my top five. Um, oh, wow. The Ravens, I... I just, I can't right now with the way that that game went. That was one of the stupidest things I've ever seen on a football field. I mean, the the number of times that a ball hit a Ravens receiver in just like all 10 fingers and ended up on the ground. Mm. I think they are really good. If I had to pick a team that is not in this top five that I think could win the Super Bowl right now, I, I, I would pick Baltimore. But on sheer principle... I'm not making an argument for them the week after having watched that. They have to get it together. 
Yeah, they have to earn your respect, which I appreciate. It's earned and not given on this show, and Nora does not play that. So Baltimore, uh, you know, heed that advice. Be better. Let's catch the football for Lamar Jackson. Let's keep him in the MVP conversation. I mean, catch the football. (laughs) Understand when the snap is going off. Like, all they should have scored 40 points in that game. Steven on our show, I think, said it best, which was that he kept checking in on that game and watching them move the ball really effectively and then he would go to another game and then go back and the score just wouldn't change they ju- mm. truly 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 should have won that game by like 20 points and they lost i i yeah it's confounding another team that's like that is the buffalo bills they go to london they face the jaguars the jaguars look like a, a superstar laden team and they look like a real contender in the afc i don't know what it is with the water in london but they like it over there when the jags are playing but the bills on the other hand they are confounding, right? There's a lot of people that say um, they don't believe. Obviously, we've seen with their highs of highs, lows of lows. Where are you right now on Buffalo? Do you still think that they are a team that can go and win a Super Bowl? Yeah, I, I still believe. I I give them not a complete pass last week because they did end up having the Matt Milano injury, which I think matters a ton for them going forward. But in general, the sleepy performance in London was, I think, exactly that. They went over on Friday for reasons I cannot come up with and explain to you. And there was all of this stuff coming out of the, you know, they did a little press conference, I think on Friday afternoon, and Stefan Diggs is calling Josh Allen sleepyhead, and they're all talking about how, how, how jet lagged they all are. Mm. And I mean, you tell me, did that look like a jet lagged team in, in the first half, especially? I think definitely. Yes. So I think that we have seen the good Josh Allen far more than the, than the shaky Josh Allen this season in the aggregate. They are still really talented. I wish they were healthier defensively, but mm-hmm. I do still think that they're a very good defense. Um, you know, they're, they're third and third against the pass defensively, which I think is going to help them against anyone they end up having to face in the AFC. They're just a little bit more trustworthy to me than even Miami, which probably has a higher ceiling, but I, I just, I I'm more comfortable with Buffalo right now. So I I'm, I'm getting over the London loss. Okay. Yeah. We can always like try to write off London and obviously their other loss was against, you know, the Aaron Rodgers, you know, led jets who brought the flag out until it all went wrong. So the bills have had two weird games that you can almost wipe away because of the circumstances, which is uh, what you do when you're trying to cape for a team. So that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to do yep. that for the and that's what I'm bills. Doing. Yeah, we're going to do that because, uh, you know, we saw it passed the eye test for us. So we're going to we're going to let it be uh, one of the biggest games this week. Nora is very fascinating. We've got the Detroit Lions taking on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, both teams with only one loss. And they're both leading their divisions. Probably not what most prognosticators would have said at the start of the year that this would be a fun game to watch. Um, whose success has been more surprising, the Lions or the Buccaneers so far? Well, I get it depends how it depends how you you quantify success, right? Whose record is more surprising? Definitely Tampa Bay. There was a genuine yeah. quarterback competition between Baker Mayfield and Kyle Trask this offseason. Uh, that team now has the fifth ranked ranked quarterback by EPA completion percentage above expectation composite score, which is like my favorite sort of overall quarterback stat. That's Baker, mm-hmm. of course. But having that good of an offense coming out of of this team that went through that offseason blows my mind. 
Now, when you actually look at at how good the team looks as a whole, Detroit is a much better football team than the Buccaneers right now. So mm. that in and of itself, just just the fact that they might be a real Super Bowl contender, so it's still sort of a dark horse by my estimation, but a team that I you could make a strong argument could win a Super Bowl. That's pretty surprising. Um, but in terms of just who, who looking like a division leader shocks me more, it is definitely the Baker Mayfield Buccaneers. And the, the fun part of this game, and maybe the fascinating part for some people was that when Jared Goff went to Detroit and got traded right for, for Matt Stafford and that all went down, everyone said he was quote unquote, a bridge quarterback. Baker Mayfield wins the job in Tampa Bay. Oh, he's just a bridge quarterback. But now both these guys, I mean, Jared Goff, especially Jared Goff's one of the best quarterbacks in the league based on all statistical measurements. I don't know what his QBR is, but, uh, I think it's going to be pretty good. Um, just kidding. We don't use QBR anymore. We just joke about it. Um, but Jared Goff has looked great. Baker Mayfield look great. It's going to be a fun game to watch those two guys go at it. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and talk about another bridge quarterback, Kirk Cousins. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back to Through the Ringer. I'm here with Nora. And now, Nora, we get to talk about one of my favorite figures in the NFL right now. He is someone that, uh, you know, America, based on the quarterback Netflix series, kind of fell in love with last year, right? I I feel like he became more of a caricature. Um, People started to like Kirk Cousins. And you wrote a piece for the Ringer that it is time for the Vikings to trade Kirk Cousins. So if it is time to trade Kirk Cousins, where should he, in fact, be traded before the deadline on October 31st? Well, so here's what I wrote, which is that it's time for the Vikings to try to trade Kirk Cousins. Mm, I'm not convinced they're going to be able to because it's it's harder, I think, than meets the eye, just in the sense that quarterbacks of that caliber are not usually just like floating around available in <laughs> right. mid-October. But I think Kirk, because of of the record in Minnesota, the fact that ever since they brought in Quesito Fomenza to, to be the GM and to run that team. They've been sort of flirting with this rebuild, but they haven't done it because the roster is talented and, and they had an ability to compete. And then they did go to the 13 and three season, 13 and four season. And I give them a lot of credit in that they looked at that record and I think accepted that it was a little bit fake. And so they did the things this off season, like let Thielen go, let Dalvin cook go They did a deal with, you know, in the past they extended Cousins at first, but they did it in a way where he's going to be a free agent after the season. So I think they they have this understanding of the direction that they want to go in. And if you are in a non-competitive season, you'd rather get something for that guy than nothing. Mm. And so I think that they should try to do that. Cousins has a no trade clause. 
So anywhere he ends up, he's going to have to to waive that. And then you start to look at the potential landing spots. And I get a little meh because, okay, the Jets, right? I would love to see Kirk Cousins on this Jets team. I'm not sure you can do it without Rodgers getting his hackles raised or, or, you know, whatever you want to say. I'm not sure you can do it in a way where it's not, okay, then Kirk Cousins is the quarterback of the team next year. Maybe Mm. they can try, but you're going to have to, you know, beat any other potential offer in terms of draft capital. It's hard to do that if you're only talking about an eight-game stretch or whatever, um, 10-game stretch. And so I'm I'm skeptical there, and I'm also skeptical because it hasn't happened yet. The Falcons. I think would be an interesting team. I would I would really love to see Kirk Cousins and Arthur Smith's offense. The Falcons have, first of all, Desmond Ritter is just coming off the, the best game he's ever had in that offense. And the Falcons have had a lot of opportunities to go after Lamar Jackson to <laughs> right. draft another quarterback. And they just don't do it. So I'm also a little skeptical that, that they're going to go for it. Um, the Titans... Is he enough of an upgrade over Tannehill that you would want to do? I mean, who knows? Tennessee is is the most anyway the wind blows in terms of are you going all in to be competitive or are you rebuilding of of all 32 of the teams? Washington also could mm. use a QB upgrade. Where he got drafted, not, right? In the fifth round back in the day. Well, and is Kirk going to want to go back there? You know, new owner, new coach, new everything. But he's got a lot of history with that franchise. Um, maybe it cuts the other way. Maybe they would love to have him. So it just gets complicated. And I struggle to come up with the team that I think is really going to go for it and, and make it worth Minnesota's while. But I do think that it would be in the Vikings best interest to try to, to try to find a partner. Yeah, my favorite part of your piece is that you said Kirk Cousins is the NFL's Joe Bowers uh, from <laughs> Idiocracy. And I think that sums it up well because, you know, his future, you're just not sure. We're just not sure what it looks like. We're not sure where he's going to go. And he is like the definition of, you know, you said from heart rate to IQ to temperament, he is average in every way. So I think uh, we're just not sure where Kirk, where Kirk Cousins ends up. But at the end of the day, it is going to be fun to watch the sweepstakes, even if it uh, doesn't lead anywhere. But one of the teams that was mentioned and I want to talk about now the New England Patriots we said last week that they bottomed out um boy did we not know there was another layer uh we just kept digging and the hole gets deeper and uh Kirk Cousins is a name that you threw out there there was some they'd have to move some money around to make it work to get him to be able to fit there but at the end of the day is that the sort of Hail Mary move that Bill Belichick and this Patriots team needs to actually light a fire under this team because Mac Jones did not look the part to say the least this past Sunday I mean, look, I don't think Mac Jones is the Patriots quarterback of the future, but I I also don't know what Bill Belichick has done right now to have earned the the trust and the leeway to go shell out for a new quarterback. I'm I'm not sure mm-hmm. if you're if you're Robert Kraft, if you're Jonathan Kraft right now, you would even okay something like that. And it doesn't have anything to do with Kirk. It's just you're gonna use cap space presumably having to to think about an extension draft picks to execute a trade you're going to use those resources that in the future could go towards a new brain trust a new whatever 
making that roster stronger and more competitive. Bill right now has earned the right to spend that capital to go take a big swing on another quarterback who, I mean, don't get me wrong. Kirk Cousins is a lot better than Mac Jones right now, but another quarterback who has the same fundamental set of limitations in the sense that he needs a good situation around him in order to perform up to his capabilities. I'm just, I'm not sure I would say, okay. I'm not even Mm. sure I would say, okay, if it were a quarterback who's, who's, better than Kirk Cousins in some ways. Like I I just think they need to figure out what direction they're trying to go in as a franchise, who's going to be in charge, who's going to be able to make those types of decisions. So that one I am skeptical of. Yeah. And I feel like uh, Bill Belichick could be making a decision for his own future at this point. Who knows? We could see him coaching the commanders for all we know next year, but um, that's a, that's a different conversation for a different day. Um, I am excited to see the Bill Belichick bowl this week. We get Mac Jones starting for the Patriots. We get Jimmy G starting for the Raiders. We get Josh McDaniels versus Bill Belichick McDaniels. He had a tough Monday night, despite the win over the Packers. Uh, is Tom Brady watching this game? And what what are Patriots fans doing while they watch this game? Are they just like ripping their eyeballs out? I'm sure Bill Simmons will not have too much fun with this one. Yeah, Tom Brady is is watching the game with popcorn for <laughs> sure. For sure, laughing. Yes. <sighs> I mean, man, it's a it's going to be a nice fall weekend in New England. I mm. go apple picking or something. Yeah, right? like this, this is the time. That's the proverbial uh, perfect afternoon. <laughs> spent not watching this football team bang its head into a wall. I don't, I, I look, the Raiders are not a great team. Josh McDaniels, uh, seems to demonstrate a lack of solid situational football in a new way every week, which maybe that's something to watch for that, that keeps it interesting. But I I look at this game and I, it just sort of comes down to, okay, the Raiders have a star on the offensive side of the football and the Raiders have a star on the defensive side of the football. I have no idea who on the Patriots offensive line right now is, is blocking Max Crosby. And even the guys, you know, like a uh, Trent Brown, who you would say might have the pedigree to mm. be able to, to perform in a matchup like that. You watch the tape. There's, there's no effort. There's, there's no interest even in being there. I mean, that thing is a, that, that line is a turnstile. And Mac, I think, is is so screwed up that it's impossible to tell what is chicken and what is egg. Is he playing terribly because he's just like feels pressure coming every which way? Is he hanging on to the ball too long and therefore he's invite? Like it is so knotted up and hard to hard to determine exactly where the problems are coming from. That even though I don't think this Raiders team is very good, I I feel pretty comfortable picking them. Um, so apple picking. Yeah, go apple picking. Also, uh, Jacoby Myers, his best weapon is now on the Raiders, so he'll get to see him uh, on the other sideline this weekend, which probably won't be fun. Also, Devontae Adams, quickly, should the Raiders be looking to move him before the trade deadline? I know that he has a lot of interest around the league. I mean, there are a lot of teams that would love to have a number one wide receiver with his kind of talent. Yeah, I I mean, the Lions, the Mm -hmm. Chiefs, I think would be fascinating. Jacksonville. Yes. Um, (laughs) I don't know if they'll do it. I I think you're starting to get into a situation where, where people are coaching and GMing for their jobs. And that's always a tricky balancing act between, okay, 
if you let go of the the really good players, maybe that's best for the long run. But the team's going to get worse. the The results are going to get worse, and then maybe uh, Mark Davis makes a makes a spur of the moment decision when something is particularly dire. But he's a great trade chip for obvious reasons, and it would be fun to see him in a more competitive situation. Well, I think good news for uh, all the Raiders fans out there is that Mark Davis seemingly is just playing slots at the airport, so he's not keeping up with what's really going on right now. So maybe, uh, like you said, Nora, you can have some job security knowing the fact that he's just trying to have some fun playing slots. Maybe they can advertise They can advertise on the sphere. Like, right. all pro receiver available. <laughs> yes. First round pick wanted. Mm-hmm. Maybe two. Maybe we won't too. We'll put Maybe it out two. there. Maybe two. You know, aim high. If you're paying yeah. that advertising rate, you, you you best be aiming high. Absolutely. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about one of Nora's favorite stories that she needs to debunk in the NFL. And we'll also talk about which game she's looking forward to the most this weekend. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. All right, welcome back to Through the Ringer. We're here with Nora, and we're talking week six. We just saw Thursday night football last night, the Chiefs taking on the Broncos, and uh, that's a whole nother conversation. But let's talk about the rest of the games, the slate this week on Sunday and Monday. Is there a game that you have circled, Nora, that you're saying, I have to see this game? I know we talked about the Lions and the Buccaneers, but who's on your board right now? Yeah, Seahawks-Bengals. Gotta see it. Mm. I mean, Joe Burrow last week looked far and away the best he has looked this year. And critically, the calf injury seems to have actually gotten better and gotten better faster than it seemed like it was, faster than I thought it would. All of a sudden, he's scrambling for for first downs. They get a real dropback passing game going. Jamar Chase is catching deep balls and scoring touchdowns. And, you know, all is right in the kingdom. Can they do it again? And can they do it again against a pretty good Seahawks opponent that I think threw a lot of people off the scent early because they came out so slow, but it has really turned the corner and is is playing some good football. So, you know, Big Lou scheming it up on defense. Joe Burrow seemingly looking healthy. We're starting to think about whether or not the Bengals can do what we've seen them do in the past, right? Which is recover from these slow starts. It's unfortunate that they keep happening. This one, in in some ways, is more excusable just because of the injury, even though I do think that they mismanaged it. Uh, But this is a good test to see if they can keep it on, keep that on track and either fight for the division or end up in a wild card situation. We've seen them, them go far from that place in the past. So I'm excited for that one. 
Yeah, there's been, you know, there are always haters online, and I try to keep up with what the haters are saying. The haters are saying that Arizona's defense is terrible and that Joe Burrow doesn't actually look better and yada, yada, yada. Do we buy into that that narrative, I guess we should say there, or we do believe no, that we saw no, the Joe because, Burrow? So, right. so to some <laughs> extent, right, like it's more yeah. meaningful because they had issues offensively that that go beyond just the calf. And so, yes, I would like to see their offense perform well against a better defense. But Arizona's defense has absolutely nothing to do with the fact that he could push off last yeah, week. Yeah, right. And he couldn't push off before. And if you can't do that, you know, you have a whole litany of issues in terms of ball placement, velocity, strength, overall mechanics, yada, yada, yada. The Joe Burrow who was playing... I am positive last week is a more able and capable quarterback than we had seen at any other point prior in the season. And it really has nothing to do with the opponent. That said, I will, of course, and I think we all, of course, will feel more comfortable with it if they do it against Seattle. Yeah, and Jamar Chase, I mean, he's a credible source because he did say he was open and Joe Burrow did find him and he, in fact, was open at times. So He, um, he is, con- in fact, always open. <laughs> yes, he is always open 24-7. Go find Jamar Chase. So Joe Burrow doing what he's done since college at LSU with Jamar Chase. Just throw him the football and good things tend to happen. So I like the move and I like that you doubled down and agree because I won't let the haters win that argument at all. Let's talk about Monday night um, because we got the Cowboys coming to take on my beloved Chargers. I will be at this game for some of this game before I go back and record through the ringer with Cousin Sal. Um, I'm excited to see this Texas Coast offense in person because it's so innovative. It's so brand new. Tate. Um, Nora, are you going to stop me? (laughs) What's happening? What are we talking about? (laughs) Not a thing. Stop trying to make Texas Coast happen. Wow. It is not happening. And and I'm speaking to you because you just said it, but much more than that, I'm speaking to Chris Collinsworth and I am speaking more than anyone else to Mike McCarthy. Oh, wow. This is like such a con. First of all, (laughs) schematically, it is a West Coast offense. Like it's not, it's not meaningfully different schematically other than just using West Coast principles in order to have a a quicker, more fast-paced offensive operation that was designed to limit Dak Prescott's interceptions and has slightly, but it has also made them just more limited and short throw-based and not explosive overall. But that's not even the point. It is not a distinct offensive system. Also, there is another entire football team that plays in Texas closer to the coast than Mm -hmm. the Dallas Cowboys do. And third, no one calls it the Texas coast. It's the Gulf Coast. No one has ever said Texas coast before Mike McCarthy decided to come up with it so that he could pin all of their offensive struggles in the past on Dak Prescott. And it is absolutely like, This is a con. Do not be conned by this man, Tate. 
Yeah, it's uh, Bill Walsh. I do know Bill Walsh is uh, actually responsible for the West Coast offense, which um, as Dak Prescott describes it, uh, you know, I'm looking at quotes from Dak right here. Everything he's saying, Bill Walsh basically says to describe the West Coast offense. So um, I'm not really sure. Yes, the principles are there. And principally, it is the exact same thing by all accounts, except for I guess Dak Prescott is playing quarterback. So maybe that's the big difference to make it the Texas Coast offense. It's very strange, but we also have a little bit of a showdown on Monday night, Nora, because we have, you know, the, the, the guy in, you know, Kellen Moore who left the offensive coordinator for the Cowboys, who's now with the chargers going up against Mike McCarthy. Do we think we get like a cold handshake or did they avoid each other? Like what's the drama that happens on Monday night between these two? No, no, they are going to, they're, they're going to have a handshake and it's going to be fine because Mike (laughs) McCarthy is just, he's just playing everyone. This, this Mm -hmm. is it. It's, it's a con. And what does a con man do? He goes out there and he smiles and he gives a handshake and it's, you know, acts like it's all fine. Meanwhile, Kellen Moore is over there doing his job. Justin Herbert's average depth of target, I believe, has gone up. Now, you know, loathe loathe as I am to uh, pick the Chargers to do anything consistently and without it all falling apart. uh, That's not a situation I want to put myself in. But that offense is far and away in a better position than Dallas is right now. And I do think it comes down really fundamentally to, to what McCarthy has tried to do with that unit, which is just not working. It was not a good idea to begin with. It was just based in this total fallacy that Dak throwing interceptions was this like huge fundamental problem that they were going to have to correct when interceptions are pretty fluky. He'd never been a high pick guy in the past. He had one season where they were really high. I do. He made some bad decisions, but completely redoing the way that they operate just around trying to, to get that number to go down was, was like a joke to begin with. Um, Yeah. Can we, can we talk about Dak quickly? I do feel like the Cowboys faithful um, just based on the the reaction to the game against the Niners. They seemingly were saying Dak can't take us to the promised land seemed to be the, uh, the thesis of their thoughts. Where do we stand with Dak? And is Dallas kind of a, a dark horse team to maybe make a run at like a Kirk Cousins? What if Dallas says, well, you know, Jerry, Jerry's like, I only got so many years left and I need somebody that, I mean, sure, Kirk Cousins turns the ball every first possession of every game, at least the past three, but otherwise he's leading the league in yards. It would be hysterical. I mean, look, I'm never, I'm, you are never going to hear me say Jerry Jones would never do that. Uh, <laughs> right. Anything's on the table That's, with that the guy. More, the more that we think about it, I think it's possible. I, I don't want to. I don't want to put too much out there. They would be so far outside of reality, just so far removed from what is actually happening. Like the idea that you're going to go trade the farm for Kirk Cousins when you have a perfectly good quarterback right there in your offense, and you're going to do all that before, say, I don't know, trying some motion, trying to get that thing to be a little bit less stagnant in the operation there offensively. It doesn't work for me, but, you know. Yeah. It doesn't work for me either. I just, uh, I want to defend Dak, but uh, he did not, you know, give me much help, uh, you know, against the Niners. Yeah, he's not making it easy. Right, right. But Dak has uh, shown that he is consistent and he's been able to, uh, you know, lead the Dallas Cowboys and be that leader in the locker room. So I think it is an overreaction from the public at large and especially from the Cowboys fans. But um, that, that's a conversation for a different day and a different time. Uh, one last thing, Nora, before I let you go. Uh, Brock Purdy, 
Is he a top five quarterback in the NFL? Because a lot of people are, are saying that's the case. And he's fourth best odds to an MVP, Nora. Fourth top best odds. five. Don't give me top five. This okay. is setting. No, he's not a top five okay. quarterback. He's not better than Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Trevor Lawrence, Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts. Mm. That's a good list. I think you, yeah, you just ratted off more than five. Yeah, so there you go. That, I, that's, I think, that, that's actually what I would like to to go out on is uh, Brock is no is no better than the seventh quarterback. Once. And I think that's that's very fair. I think top seven is is a good list when it comes to the Ringer universe. So we love that. Nora, thanks so much for coming to the show. We appreciate you. We'll have you back next week. And uh, coming up next, we got Kyle Mann, who's going to talk about Chet versus Wimby and uh, a whole lot more NBA preseason storylines. We'll see you then. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, welcome back to Through the Ringer. I'm your host, Tate Frazier, and joining us now, you know him from plenty of places in the Ringer universe, one of them being on One Shining Podcast on Manic Mondays. He is, of course, the great Kyle Mann. Kyle Mann, great to see you, dude. Great. You know, I think I'm all right. The okay, J. Kyle Mann. Either way, (laughs) I appreciate your praise. You know, it's good to see you. I appreciate your humility. You know what I mean? I like like bringing everybody in with a little great. You know what I mean? Get them fired up a little bit. But I like that. I I appreciate it. We need that on this show. I got to change it up up and be humble every once in a while you know you're arrogant you don't want to kind of keep people on their toes be like is he arrogant is he humble you know i want to i want it to be kind of a mix you know so for once you know in my life so anyway i like the seesaw approach we appreciate that here on the show and uh, we're going to talk about some fun stuff today because usually you and i get on one shining podcast it's college basketball related right we're we're looking through the lens of college basketball but we're looking through the lens of nba rookies right now because we got a showdown i know it's the preseason there's a lot of people that preach you know who cares about the the preseason don't worry about the preseason I think the preseason is fun because we get a lot of tinkering we get a lot of testing people don't want to show their hand but we saw two giant hands go head to head and that was Chet Holmgren and Victor Wimbenyama we got the first showdown between these two guys just your first reaction seeing these two battle it out it felt like uh watch this uh one-upmanship whatever you want to call it you know whatever you do I can do better kind of moment with Chet and Wimby early on yeah uh you just you just felt like you were mainlining the future like you just felt like you were like <laughs> Like, I don't know. I, I like it, it felt it reminded me of like back in the day with like NBA live when like, you know, I would just sort of like create the tallest player I could. I think how tall would it get? Just went as tall as Manute Bowl, right? So it was like, okay, you go mm-hmm. seven, seven, you know, three point shooting 90 ball handling 90. And, you know, back in those days, we'd be like, how preposterous, how delightfully absurd that a guy this skinny, you know, but you watch these two, uh, they're trading transition threes at one point. I think Wimby. Typically, when we think about guys that big, you think about like, okay, Porzingis, he can step into a three. He can hit a catch and shoot three, even bowl bowl, which if if another person compares bowl bowl to Wimby, 
Um, I, I, I at times have felt like Samuel L. Jackson in that, you know, first Pulp Fiction scene, like where I just want to, you know, point the, point the gun and not a literal gun. Cause you know, I'm not, you know, whatever, but you know, I just, I was like, I da- say it again. I dare you to say it again. That's mm-hmm. how infuriating that was. Uh, but you saw off the dribble, you know, there's questions between the two of them, but Chet for one looks super strong off the dribble. He just had. You know, I know Zach Collins is your guy, Tate. I know you guys have a history. You dapped in Vegas, your buddies. I don't even oh, know. Yeah. You may have had drinks together. I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. it, it was Gonzaga on Gonzaga crime. Chet had Zach Collins in prison. Like, he was just cooking him. He blocked his shot a few times. Zach had to be thinking, you know, I thought I was big brother. Uh, you know, little brother has kind of has kind of, you know, surpassed me here a little bit. But, it, yeah, it was wildly, wildly impressive, the athleticism and the skill between those two guys. Yeah, and if you look at the Rookie of the Year odds right now, Wimby is the favorite at plus 130. Chet Holmgren at plus 270. Of course, Chet was out last year, so he counts as a rookie this year. Scoot Henderson at plus 300. Then the next closest person on the board is Brandon Miller at plus 2300. So it's basically a three-man race. We saw the two guys, Chet and Wimby. How much is this going to be a storyline throughout the season, just these two guys battling each other and trying to kind of assert themselves as the future of the NBA at some level? Um, it's been kind of coming for a little while. You know, earlier in the offseason, right. I was thinking, I had the thought, you know, you got you to pull, pull the trigger, you know, when you have the thought, because I was like, you know, people aren't talking enough about this rivalry. I feel like these two, these two are like sizing up to be really, really great contemporaries, yin to the yang here. Um, it, it dates back, you know, it dates back to the FIBA U19 championship game when those two went off against each other and played against each other. And, they were an interesting matchup back then because Wimby, you know, Wimby dwarfed him. Obviously, was much bigger. Uh, Chet is no small guy, but we saw Chet multiple times beat him off the dribble at his size. You know, he mm-hmm. got into his body, and um, they they are just sort of an interesting. Um, they're an interest. I, I don't know how much they're actually going to go head to head, honestly, because. It was interesting how they were using Wimby. I don't know if you paid attention to this, but he was off ball a lot. He was sort of in that roamer position, and he wasn't near the basket. I don't know if they're doing that to kind of protect him and keep him out of foul trouble. Um, But yeah, I mean, these two teams, Wimby is going to accelerate things for the Spurs. We know that. OKC is knocking on the door. They might be ahead of schedule this year. You know, they might be ready to compete this year in a real way. Um, they they both size up to be good i think in the next 5 years and that's that's just really exciting to watch and we get a Texas Oklahoma rivalry, right? So that's always good for the sport uh, and just for those two states because they like to rival with each other. That's just what happens there. And uh, also, I found this interesting. They asked Wimby about his relationship with Chet, if he had a relationship with Chet at any level, and he simply just said no. <laughs> um, so it doesn't seem like uh, it doesn't seem like there's much love lost between the two guys, and they're both very competitive. So I think this is great for the NBA, right? Th- this is something that the preseason showed us a little bit of what the future looks like. Yeah, and the, the other thing too here that people should not underestimate at all is i won't say the word because i know we're on tv um these both of these guys are what's the word uh they are pricks like they are like not likable guys <laughs> but these these are like um, right these are very very competitive dudes these are these are dogs the both of these guys the nba holes right yes, that's what we call M- them nba holes. yeah they they both you know the cliche they both got that dog in them um they 
they they both are very very competitive, very chippy. People always look at Chet and they're always just like, "What is this skinny? You know, what is this skinny dude? What's this skinny white boy going to do in the NBA?" Chet's been dealing with that for years. Like, you don't think that like in the high school ranks, people saw you know Gumby out there blocking shots and hitting threes on the on the Steph Curry highlight video. Everybody thought that they were going to try him. Lots of people have, and lots of people have learned the lesson. Um, so you know, both and the, the thing, another thing, Tate that really sticks out to me is despite their skinniness, and this is something that really was promising for me for them coming into the draft, respectively, both of them, they would play through contact and still make skill plays. Like on the very first play of the game, you saw Wimby drive baseline off the dribble. Not seeing many 7-4 guys do that, number one. But he he did a little shovel pass in traffic to Collins, even though he was being physically pressured uh, and off balance. Once he starts to get strong, he and Chet both, you're going to start to see that skill. He's going to be able to leverage that skill level even more. So um, it's both of those guys have that in common. And I think Chet, we've seen what a year of strength has done for him because he, he looks great. He looks physically great. He was even flexing after that yeah, M1. He, yeah. I know. And I liked how he kind of was reacting to what Wimby was doing. So I, I, I appreciated that. But enough about the future. Let's talk about the present because those guys will be a topic of conversation for the next decade. Let's talk about right now. Let's talk about AD because Anthony Davis is one of those uh, freaks as well. He was supposed to be the best player in USA basketball right now, presently. But some people would argue that he's not quite there. But Right now, Darvin Ham is asking him to take at least three, six threes a game, which is a very like uh, creative player, like you were talking about before with NBA 2K, like a mission and an objective for the season to do. Um, what does that offense look like if AD's taking six threes a game? Is that actually sustainable? And how much are we going to enjoy AD differently if he's going to actually play at the four this year? Well, his career high is three and a half. You know, if we're looking here and then at the, let's see what the per 36 for that is. It can't be very high. I, I know like, in terms of like him spotting up and shoot, yeah, per, per 36, his career high, same year, 3.7. So he plays a lot. That adds up. Um, his spot up career highs are, are in the, were both his last two years with New Orleans. It's been kind of, you know, he's 30 years old now. I've watched a lot of AD. This is not, you know, this is a pretty, I, I, I could say I can stand on the, uh, the confidence of having seen a pretty good sample size. The shot, mm-hmm. he's one of those guys that like, I don't know if you've ever known anyone like this, that like they really look the part when you watch them shoot the ball. You're like this just doesn't add up. Like it's it's kind of sim- similar with what's going on with Cade Cunningham where it's like the shot looks good. What's going on? What is it? Your eyes watching the ball and you need to be watching the rim. What's the tweak that's not physical um, that's not working out here? Um I don't know how much I, I don't have a ton of confidence in him shooting. Like, what what do you think the target percentage is for him shooting threes? I mean, thirty five percent is that the level it needs to get to for it to be justified? Because if I'm the de- if I'm the defense, if Anthony Davis is taking six threes a game and he's shooting thirty one, thirty two percent, you know his let's see, yeah, his career high in percentage thirty four. I mean, if he if he hits that. And he's taking six of them a game. That's pretty terrifying. But if if he's shooting sort of his career average, which is thirty, uh, I'm I'm think I'm like putting my hands together and saying, you know, thank Jesus, thank Zenu, thank whoever that like that he's not rolling to the rim constantly because he's the best lob catcher ever. So I don't know. I guess it comes down to how much rim pressure do you think that they're going to get elsewhere? Um, I don't know. I'd throw that back to you, and th- you know that that seems like that would have to be the counter to that because if he's outside. If I'm the defense, uh, I'm I'm putting my hands together. It's kind of like the honest thing. If he wants to take six of them a game, that's great, you know. 
That's what I, as soon as I saw that story from Darvin Ham, I'm, I'm thinking everybody in the league when it comes to the Western Conference is saying, thank God. I mean, the most damning thing about AD's game is that rim pressure and that lob threat. So if he's willing to only want to run from three-point line to three-point line, we'll take that all day, every day. You know what I mean? So uh, when I saw that story, that, that was my first reaction as well. So, I mean, and if he does shoot a career-high 35%, I guess, you like you said, you can justify it. But we'll accept AD shooting three for 10 from three and taking away 10 possessions from him actually trying to get downhill to the rim every single day. If he shoots six threes a game at 35% based on his defensive impact, too, if you look at his minutes per game if and he plays about 34 per game he's going to be all nba not that he wouldn't otherwise but i mean that's going to be a career year for him i mean it's so you know I, it'd be fun to see i just but i'm with you i would lean towards if he wants to shoot him i'm sending dar you know if, if i'm uh if i'm uh you know frank vogel if i'm whoever i'm sending you know darvin hand flowers i'm saying love the job you're doing this year i love the you know love the pr <laughs> Thank I you. love the innovative approach there, Darvin. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll see you when you come yeah. uh, to Denver. We'll have fun with wow. that. So there you go. So impressive. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about where will James Harden end up and uh, some more rookies to watch in the preseason. Welcome back to Through the Ringer. We're here with Kyle Mann. And Kyle Mann, we have to talk about the elephant in the room in the NBA. He's one of the best scorers of all time, but he's also someone that seemingly is never happy where he is. That, of course, is James Harden, the the enigma himself um, in NBA circles. Some people think he still has great value. Other people say not so much. We don't know where we stand, but we've also heard mixed reports. Some people in Philadelphia said he's been great when it comes to team leadership so far. Some people have said that he's just basically been um, you know, off to himself. Who knows really what to believe? But my question to you, Kyle, man, is what is the best situation for James Harden right now in his career? Is it staying in Philadelphia or is it forcing himself to somewhere like the Clippers, which seemingly is his preferred destination? Well, I think it kind of comes down to his willingness to his his like his willingness to sort of be malleable in terms of his, his role. You know, this was always going to be mm-hmm. a tough situation just because. Um, you know, I always called it the glacial marriage between him and Embiid. You know, both of them, you know, Embiid is a guy who has a struggle. And it's especially made tough just because Embiid's not a hard roller all the time. So he doesn't exactly fit what he wants to do. He really wants to pop to that 15-foot left elbow and then operate out of his ISO. It was always going to be kind of a tough pairing to get to get the movement that they were going to need to sort of maximize, you know, the toughness, the difficulty of guarding this team. At this point, though, man, I mean, he he kind of embraced, you know, I don't need to score quite as much. I can lean into the playmaking and things like that. It becomes a question of, um, you know, is he willing to do any more of that stuff? Or can you get creative with, like, inverting it and, and playing? I've always wanted to kind of see James Harden as the screener. I think that's pretty interesting because of his little floater game, because of him popping and hitting threes. Maybe you just take the ball out of his hands and lessen the sort of uh, luxury that teams have of, like, loading up defensively against him. I think that's another thing that's pretty interesting. Um, the Clippers on that front are pretty interesting. If you think about inverted pick and rolls between, like, him and Kawhi, him and, uh, you know, him and Paul George, all that stuff is interesting. I think you're going to continue, though, to run into the same issues no matter where he goes. Uh, in the, and that is just how willing is he to play 
in a, in a situation where the ball touches his hands significantly less. And my confidence level in that is is pretty low at this point based on what we've seen. Uh, the what if with the Clippers is always interesting with Ty Lue there as well because he seemingly has figured out how to put matchups that you that you want to see in favor of the Clippers in the playoffs. So um, that'll be fascinating. We'll see what happens with Harden. Quickly, let's talk about a couple rookies that have impressed you so far. I know one of them is Jame Hawkes Jr. with the Miami Heat. What have you seen from him? Um, you and I both love Jame, and he looks good so far. Oh yeah, man, been all been all over Hawkes for a while. I, I honestly, I was texting somebody and saying, uh, I feel proud. I don't know if that's even appropriate. <laughs> like if, I don't I don't know if that's allowed. Um I guess you're 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 proud of um he he just seemed like somebody he just seemed to me like somebody who was going to come in, he wasn't going to hurt you with mistakes early on. He's somebody he's a no-waste player. He comes in, he doesn't have any kind of delusion about like I need to be doing this, I need to be doing that. He just knows how to play basketball and he 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 really has incredible high feel. You watched him his pace in summer league just right out of the box. He was just ready to roll. He looked great. Same thing the other night. He came in and like had a couple pump fakes and scored. He did a great pass. These are just kind of the things that he adds to the seams of your offense. Um and he does that by he defends his ass off. He's a smart team defender. Um, I I was telling Bill uh, that like I think one of the things that really excites me the most is Hakez absorbs the information in his environment really really well. And if you think about mm-hmm. the intelligence level of the Miami Heat, you know they even got the, the jerseys now. It's become a cliche the Heat culture thing. If you think about all those things and what's available to him to soak up. Um, I'm really encouraged and excited to see what he's going to do with all that information because I think he's going to capitalize and grow. Yeah, I think he's uh, one of those guys. He's just a good basketball player, and he's plug and play, and Miami is a place that will embrace that kind of mentality. The other team, quickly, I want to talk about was the Denver Nuggets. I love their rookie class. Julian Strother is one of those guys that can just get buckets. Hunter Tyson is really impressive. What do you like about the defending champs and what they were able to build in the draft? I think they they sneakily are one of the more interesting rookie situations in the league because of what they're attempting to do. You've got to think in the aggregate they're they're thinking okay, can we Bruce Brown is, you know, he's been he's he's almost become overrated like to the point where, like I love him to death, but it's like he's it's got to kind of tilt back a little. Everybody loves him, the secret's out, you know. <laughs> and and Indiana appropriately went and got him, but they're trying to import this through older rookies. You know, Jalen Pickett was I think 24 years old last year. He was one of the old, you know, he was an old guy on Penn State, big time score, but he has almost this like Andre Miller way that he plays. I'm not doing the one-to-one comp thing, but he has this very physical Mark Jackson-y, Andre Miller-y kind of way that he burrows into the league and can see over smaller guards and kick the ball to the top of the key. Question for him will be, you know, can he do that with their first lineup? Yeah, and the rookies look good in the preseason. Um, so it's been fun to watch. Preseason basketball is on. The NBA is right around the corner. Kyle, man, thanks so much for coming on the show. We're very excited about NBA basketball being back, and we'll have you on soon. Thanks for having me, Tate.